welcome to the Art Funk Podcast. Episode. Four, two, four, two, four, two. Four, two, four, two. Episode 42. Uh, hey, the everybody. The end of that always makes me think of the end of Bye 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 by the classic band NSYNC. Mm, the great philosophers NSYNC. Yeah. At the very end of the music video where they're all puppets and they just go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told uh shout out to Ben Backus who made that. What, what? Um, I told uh, Ben I just wanted the end of the intro music to sound like the band just got up and left. Did you really? Yeah, like they just set their instruments down and walked away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Effective. <laughs> I'm done playing. Well, uh, hey, Rachel. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Not bad. That's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. This is our first episode of... 2018. Yes, yes, 2018. A lot happened since the last episode, um, which was a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we uh, well, the holidays happened. Yeah, yeah those the end of 2017 mm-hmm. bowed out disgracefully <laughs> so it was just a this tear it had so much potential i was yeah. thinking like 2017 had a lot of potential it could have been a great year i mean in ways it was pretty phenomenal in other ways it was a garbage fire it was just a garbage so. fire yeah glad it, glad that nonsense is over we can get to 2018 get one step closer to having a better year a year full of success for yeah. so many groups. That's the goal. Yes, exactly. Um, we At the end of 2017, towards the end, we saw well, a movie came out, uh, The Disaster Artist. And it had artist in the name, so you know we got to talk about it. Yeah, it had to. Yeah. And Disaster, which, you know, also also re- references us. So yeah, yeah. Um, we, uh, it, the movie was, what did you think of it? I think that it was incredibly uncomfortable to watch and I would not have understood it without also watching the uncomfortable film, The Room. Yes. Even more uncomfortable. So my boss mentioned this movie to me, The Disaster Artist, and then he explained what it was, which was the making of the movie, The Room. Yeah, a fictional making of the movie. No, it was pretty accurate. I mean, it, was I mean pretty, it wasn't like a documentary. It was documentary. a dramatized, dramatization. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like yeah. a reenacted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In which James Franco plays, what was that guy's name? <laughs> oh, man. Tommy something. Tommy was the Wise character's now? name. No, that was the actor's name. No, the guy Tommy was Wiseau. Tommy Wiseau. yeah. Johnny was the character's Johnny name. Johnny was the character, yeah. So James Franco plays Tommy playing Johnny. Yes. Yeah, and he also directed the movie as Tommy, Tommy Wiseau, Wiseau. Yeah. in character. So, from from what I heard, um, the so go see the movie The Room, which is largely regarded as the worst movie of all time. Yeah, it's horrible. It's 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 painful, horrendous, and painful, watch. but also kind of impressive in some ways. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. Just and then, uh, then right after that, just be very confused about why this movie is seen as a cult classic, The Room, and then go watch The Disaster Artist starring James Franco. It's like you get to if you don't watch The Room, you're gonna not understand most of 
all of the references, really. All of the references. All of them. You can still enjoy the movie, I think, sure. The Disaster Artist, if you don't see The Room, but, like, it's just not as fun. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, it was great, and I thought it was amazing, and if you go see it at the Alamo Draft mm-hmm. House, they'll, they'll play all these old clips from Tommy oh, Wiseau's, yeah. like, clothes commercials and things. Yeah, because like, I guess he went on and did other things, too. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And this is all these weird mysteries surrounding the guy. Yeah. Um, no one knows where he's from or when he was born or, or how old he is. <laughs> or how old he is. None of that matters, really, but it's just like people are obsessed with this. Yeah. Um. Well, what other things have happened um, in December, early January? Well, for Sunset, we're in hibernation mode, so that means we've been trying to work on uh, internal things. We're working on setting up some shows for this year. Uh, set we've got we're gonna have our first uh, studio member show in February. We're gonna get a new artist and resident in in February. Nice, nice. Setting up some new things like that. Trying to work on some more of our public programming too some of our free, free stuff for the community that we want to work on. Yeah, usually sunset in the winter months, uh, it's too cold to do things outside, yeah. and yeah. people don't want to show up anyway. So it's a good month for hibernation and admin things. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. What about various? Uh, various manufacturing is my sculpture uh, thing mm-hmm. making studio. It's I don't know. I haven't decided how to describe this thing yet, but... Uh, that's what I, that's what I do on the side and it's going pretty well. Also kind of in hibernation mode. Um, not as purposeful as your hibernation mm-hmm. mode. Uh, but I'm working on a new piece right now with a double mold, double sided, uh, mold. Mm-hmm. Which is your first time to try and make, well, technically your second time to try and make one. Yeah. But your first time for this technique. First time for this technique, we'll see how successful it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to add a bunch of other. I, I got to figure out what the next steps are for it because I've done all that I can think of to do for this junction. Um, but um, I don't I just, I don't, I don't know really what the next thing to do is. Mm-hmm. I don't really have goals for it, so I'm not even sure if I'm making progress. Mm. <laughs> I should write those down. Yeah. Yeah, so... We've got to figure out some things. Yeah, you mentioned to me a while ago about an artist planning something or another. Yeah, well, I feel like, you know, in our main jobs, and our paying day jobs, especially yours, you do like a lot of planning meetings at the beginning of a season. That's basically my entire job yeah. at this point. But like we should apply those same concepts to our artwork professional practices. I agree. Yeah, I, I feel kind of lost in it right now. I'm not really sure what the next thing to do is. Yeah. And I can cast... I can keep casting things in concrete. I can keep making new sculptures, and I know how to do that part of it. Mm-hmm. But the part that I don't know how to do is like get people to buy it. Mm-hmm. Slash, should I even be worried about that? I don't know. I don't know. I what I did do, and what I do feel like drawn to sometimes is uh, sign painting, mm-hmm. and um, I still do uh, the that, uh, and I would like to explore me doing more of that and maybe trying to figure out a way I can combine those two things, sculpture and sign painting. It seems kind of disparate, but mm-hmm. um, the latest thing I sign painted was uh, for uh, Tierra Ferme, mm-hmm. which is a collaboration between uh, Sarita Westrup. Sarita, uh, we'll just say <laughs> yes, Sarita and Annalise, Annalise. Minhares. 
And um, I think we've talked about their work on here before. Yeah, we have in like episode two or three or something. Yeah, real early. And they uh, they're they're uh, putting up a show. Um, I think it's a group show. Yeah. So the, there's two parts to it. I think they're just the two of them have a main section of the show, and then they're curating a smaller gallery of works by other artists as well. Yeah. And so, and that's uh, in Texas, a border arts symposium at the Latino Cultural Center. Yeah. So I I, I painted um, a thing for them. Uh, if you go to the show, you'll see uh, one of their pieces. It's like a big pavilion, right? No, it's not a pavilion. The first time I did it was on a pavilion. Yeah. This time it was, it, it's on uh, just the wall. Oh. Okay. But it's a grid. Right. Is what it is. So there's, uh, it's a Sinfonteras on the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there is numbers one through eight on the left side. Mm-hmm. And then so it creates sort of a map grid. Mm-hmm. And then they mapped out the border. Of Texas and Mexico. Of Texas and Mexico on that grid. Mm-hmm. And so they're hanging uh, rocks that they, you know, that are in that area. Um, like using this grid. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. And I was glad to like. Part. Second time I was able to like um, help them out and do some sign painting on that. It's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of want to do more of that um, sign painting stuff and see if there's a way to combine. I don't know if there is, but with concrete. Yeah, I, I mean, I could paint concrete. on concrete. That seems well, sure. to be the most obvious sure. thing. But I think that's also why it's nice to look at their work, like the the show they had at um, Mountain View mm-hmm. a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. Had lots and lots of concrete in it. It did. Yeah. Yeah. You you and Sarah and Annalise just need to like have a workshop with each other. We have a lot of material interests, similar material interests. Yeah. Um, we also, uh, speaking of friends who have, th- oh, when does that show open? Oh, this, it's on uh, Friday, January 19th from 6 to 8 at the Latino Cultural Center. Yeah, it'll Local be up Cultural through Center. January, no, it'll be up through March 24th. Oh, yeah. So all kind of time. And then um, we, so speaking of friends that we have stuff going on, mm-hmm. um, Taylor Toynis is the director, director founder. Found, yeah, founder mm-hmm. for sure of For Oak Cliff. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know, tell us, you mentioned this thing that he's got going on. Mm-hmm. So uh, For Oak Cliff, he started as a, like a neighborhood community uh, initiative. So their tagline is, we seek to liberate our community from systemic oppression through education, mm-hmm. which is pretty solid. South Oak Cliff. South Oak Cliff is the area that they work in. And they have, it's pretty sweet. They He initially just started it as the first version of Four Oak Cliff was the back to school drive for to get school supplies for kids in the area. Mm-hmm. And then... So you, he was a teacher. Right. In South Oak Cliff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's from South Oak Cliff. Um, yeah, he like lives in the neighborhood, grew up in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. He um, got funding. He's got all kind of funding. He's met Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, it's grown a lot. And now he's in the Glendale Shopping Center. And they got chosen recently by the Real Estate Council, I guess, of Texas, maybe. Oh, cool. Um, or maybe of America. I don't know. But they they were selected to be the recipient of the Associate Leadership Council 2018 service project to rehab their uh, office spaces, their, 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 all of their facilities, really. So they're in yeah, Glendale yeah. Shopping Center, which is this old school shopping center owned by Mr. Johnson, I think is his name. 
Yeah, he's been he's owned that place for like forever. Yeah, like this. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet deal, and they recently fixed the neon, which is cool. So it's this old school shopping yeah, center. It's yeah. been there for like fifty or sixty years. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Taylor's dad used to own a corner store in the shopping center, right? Which is how it's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah, and amazing. like that's that's the thing. Like what he's doing is really inspirational because he's grew up in the community you know uh as a kid and then worked in the community and mm-hmm. lives there now mm-hmm. and now dedicates his time works for on four oak cliff full-time i believe right i think so and like the fact that he was able to do that and now like his whole job is mm-hmm. making the community he lives and works in mm-hmm. and grew up in better yeah is like the yeah greatest american story i've ever heard i love it that is america yeah there is america yeah (laughs) so they've got like ged programs they've got all these after school programs they Mm -hmm. have like Mm -hmm. um i think they have um like big community events they're working on a community garden so they're getting this uh service project to kind of rehab their interior space to make it more functional so that they can have space for like computer labs and yeah like so what's this thing they got coming up? Areas. Well, it's their their open house kind of. I think this is before the service project really gets underway. Mm-hmm. So they've cleaned out all their offices, ready for the these people, the associate leadership council, to come in and rehab their whole space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like learning more about them and learning about this project before everything happens. Because I don't. Because then there, I think that's going to be worked on from now through like June. Mm-hmm. And they should finish up uh, in June and probably have like a big party in the summer to celebrate the reopening of the space. Yeah. So by the time this podcast goes out, they might have already had that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can check out uh, Four Oak Cliff on Facebook, Instagram. Um, Their and website's fouroakcliff.org. Fouroakcliff.org. And uh, the website is fouroakcliff.org. But I think the social media is the number four. Is Oak it? Cliff, I believe so. I want to fact check me on that. Hmm. But anyway, I know the the URL is for Oak Cliff F O R Oak Cliff dot org. Let's see what their Instagram is. The Grams is the number for Oak Cliff. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh check out what Taylor's doing over there. It's uh, it's great. We just gotta like get caught up on like the last month, basically, is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um. We have a we have a friend uh, of the podcast who's been on the show once at least. At least we interviewed him back forever ago during the winter view se- season mm-hmm. sessions, and uh, he is currently the director of assistant director of assistant Kirk director. Hopper Fine Art. Yeah, yeah, and so like we've covered lots of work that he has helped cho- choose chosen. Giovanni Valderas. Oh, yeah. Has not said his name yet? I don't think so. Giovanni. <laughs> Giovanni Valderas. And so, so he's got this thing happening. He's doing a thing. He mentioned it in a post that it, it kicked off because of a workshop that he did with Sunset and with MAP, Make Art with Purpose, mm-hmm. where he came in and taught a workshop and talked about the community and housing affordability. And they, as a workshop, they all made um, little pinata style houses mm-hmm. and his i wasn't expecting this but the one that this example that he made and brought in had a little quirky little cartoon face on it 
Yeah, it looked like uh, just like a Saturday morning cartoon in mm-hmm. the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so after a few weeks went by and we're, we're saving all the pinatas to, to keep working on this project at sunset and to display them. And then he came by later and was like, can I come pick that up? like yeah what are you doing with it he wasn't he didn't really tell me much but he started making more and more of these little cartoon pinata houses and they're not very big they're about a foot tall by like a foot and a half like long yeah something like that i mean that. it they could fit in like you know a sizable like uh, i don't know amazon shipping box or something like probably you know but he started making lots of little characters house characters like this and if you follow kian manda on instagram Q-U-I-E-N underscore M-A-N-D-A underscore. Mm-hmm. That's his uh, social media account for this specific project. And he's going around and leaving all of these um, around Oak Cliff in areas where extreme development and gentrification is happening in the form of like developers coming in and building these crazy huge luxury apartments. And so I think he's trying... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm to uh really just bring attention to like the role that those people play in the community and who those developments are being built for and how that's going to affect the fabric of the neighborhood going forward. Yeah, most of the most of the small little houses that I've seen are placed uh near real estate signs that, I, that I've seen mm-hmm. um or in you know like like big uh, lots or something mm-hmm. and you'll see them out there npr did a story mm-hmm. about it kera uh they did a artist spotlight on him hadi mawagdi which mm-hmm. let's be real that's one of the coolest names ever it's really um, yes. yeah right uh hadi mawagdi did like a artist spotlight on him and then the main npr socials promoted it which was really cool so he's starting to get some pretty big recognition for this project yeah yeah so shout out to giovanni yeah and working uh, on affordable housing yeah uh so we went and saw some art we did we We actually saw a lot of art yeah we i'm i was impressed at our stamina for going to so many shows we i know we're usually exhausted we usually go to like one and we're like calling it we're out done uh what's cool is that when we go to the openings which you know a lot of art reviews or whatever they happen uh not during the opening Mm mm-hmm but we like to go see the, our friends and stuff, and sometimes it's the only time that we get to see those people. Or and sometimes out. that's the only time our schedule works for the gallery. Yeah, true. Because they're only open then. Yeah, fair point. So um, I'll start with the last show that we went to see, which was at 500X. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of work there. Yeah, 500X is such a huge space. I think they had one, two, like four or five shows up right now. Like at once. At one time. Yeah. Um, specifically wanted to call was okay before I say the name of the show was it an Italian pronunciation because I kept wanting to say the Italian in an Italian way Lene and Jesse's show like yeah how do you pronounce the name of the show I say carapace what I was going to say carapace <laughs> I think it's carapace but it's C-A-R dash A dash P-A-C-E, like it's a pronunciation. Yeah. Like uh, in the dictionary or something. Which is the hard upper shell of a turtle crustacean or arachnid. Okay. So we're clueless on how to pronounce the name of the show. Either it's carapace or carapace. Carapace. (laughs) Um, But in in any case, it was a collaboration Uh 
between Lene. Lene Bowman Cravens and Jesse Barnes. Yes. Um, so we saw that. Shout out to Lene and Jesse. Mm-hmm. As a printmaking, installation, fabric. Mm-hmm. Photography. Photography. Installation, kind of collaboration. Yeah. Laser cutting was in laser there. Of All based on uh, tropical landscapes. Yeah, so go check that show out. Upstairs in like the project room mm-hmm. of 500X in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, second to last show, working backwards, mm. was at Kirk Hopper Fine Art, mm-hmm. um, where we saw Ann Wood's work. Called uh, Deathbeds. Deathbeds. Mm-hmm. And um, this was intense. It was like a Rococo painting exploded. And came to life. And came to life. And so it was like these uh, how, uh, furniture and housing fixtures. Mm-hmm. So there was like an old bed, like a mm-hmm. twin-size bed, a uh, fireplace. Um, there was a... Bear rug. Bear rug. A, mm-hmm. a, a chair. Mm-hmm. There's like a treehouse-ish-esque. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Thing. Covered in wax and flowers. Yeah, silk flowers everywhere. As if it was made of that. Yeah. And huge. Like these are... Found I, what I assumed to be found objects, like mm-hmm. a chair, and then she covered them in flower and uh, flowers and wax, and made it look like a Rococo painting came to life. Mm-hmm. And just unashamedly gaudy. Yeah, like just out there. Yeah, I have to. Uh, we talked about this a little in the gallery, but Rococo is easily my favorite art mm-hmm. history period. She references it in her statement. Absolutely too. love it. Yeah, like it's like it's my. Like when I Which learned, is funny because all the scholars, I feel like, like to hate on it. Yeah, they do. But when we learned that in art history years and years ago, I remember just like instantly fall. Like the was the pain, the classic painting of the, the woman swing. on the swing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just. It's actually in um, the movie Frozen where she. Oh yeah, you're right. Is jumping around on the couches. Yeah, yeah. And she's singing she the song. Jumps up. Yeah, in those paintings that she's like jumping up and like recreating as she's mm-hmm. in the air it's an audio medium so i'm doing my hands up but like i have to yeah. describe it. she's like jumping on the couches yeah in a very disney way well there's that painting as she jumps in front of where the woman's on the swing and that's like the example of rococo mm-hmm. just like unnecessarily flower flower uh flowery flowery and decorative and yeah. just everything's so unnecessary cotton and I candy i feel like it's it. the term our, our art history yeah. professor used yeah it's like just visual cotton candy it's like i love cotton candy cotton candy's delicious it's just yeah. pure sugar i love pure sugar yeah um can't eat it so i just stare at it yeah. um but this but these uh, are also a little grotesque like the the that's fair. i that's remember fair. i don't know if you remember but like the painting pieces on the wall the wall mm-hmm. hanging pieces mm-hmm. like one of them was i think they're both of two animals in each painting one was of foxes and one was of deer but the animals are like dead and strung up yeah so yeah there's that yeah and there was a uh what was it a what do you call it taxidermied mm. like bobcat or something above yeah. the fireplace yeah. that yeah. was also covered in flowers right so it's like unashamedly decorative rug. Had like gaudy. blood coming out of its yeah, mouth. Yeah, but also grotesque. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything about the work I, I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And so, um, better, better sculptures and things. So, um, I didn't get very far because I ended up talking to her husband, Jeff Temple, and uh, uh, their friend, Grant Smith. Yeah. Also an artist. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Temple's not. Jeff Temple's a psychologist. Psychiatrist. Psychiatrist? That's the one with the PhD. I don't know. 
Yeah. He's a psychologist, I think. Anyway, he's he, he's one of those. He does one of those. He's got a doctorate. Mm-hmm. And so uh both cool dudes. Uh Jeff tried to buy the jacket I was wearing like off of my body. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's a pretty sweet jacket. The puppy jacket. Literally bought it ten minutes before I met him. Mm-hmm. Um anyway, at a thrift thrift store. Mm-hmm. Um so shout out to those two guys. Um and uh but yeah, the the work there was pretty good. Now the main so go check that out. Work at uh, Kirk Hopper Fine Art uh, and Woods mm-hmm. uh, and Woods pieces, big sculptures. The work that we're going to talk about today, though, we actually saw at more in depth Conduit Conduit Gallery. That's right. That's right. Went to Conduit. It, the artist is Lance Letcher or Lesher. Lesher. I've heard it both ways. I've heard it, and uh, he is a collage artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's how he defines himself. Yeah, collage artist. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like three, like I don't know what you call it, three D collaging, where he's like, like relief. I mean, I guess happening. technically all of it's three D, <laughs> but yeah, it's more like relief where he's dealing with like metal and staples. Yeah. And then there's and and bikes. Um, oh yeah. Well, that would have been more sculptural. Yeah. yeah. And then there's other stuff where he's dealing with, um, more two D kind of stuff where it's like uh. Uh, like painting style collages. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you would describe that, mm-hmm. but it's more flat. Yeah. Or it's like from magazines. Yeah. Now, before we get too far into talking about the work, wanted to say kind of our philosophy with talking about the artist's work, mm-hmm. which our is goal when we do when we talk about work. Yeah, which is uh, if it's on the show, we connected with it in some way. Right. You know, there's been shows that we've gone to that we're just like, there's not a lot here. We're not going to mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if it's on the show, it means we mention it. I mean, that we, means we connected to it, and we put it on here. And sometimes we might have more questions, clarifying questions mm-hmm. uh, about what was going on or what was happening. Um, but we always appreciate it. Yeah, and I guess really with the whole podcast, we hope that it encourages other people to talk about art more. So maybe this yeah, isn't the show yeah. for you. Maybe you connected with a different show recently. Yeah. Um. So I guess so. What's the what's the uh, description? What's that stuff? Interpretation. Oh, the parts of yeah. So the parts of talking about art that we always use, or the parts of critique, could be uh, description, interpretation, and judgment. We're not usually into the judgment part. Yeah. We usually spend a lot of time on description and interpretation. Those are the fun parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Judgment is kind of that's that's the subjective part. You know. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people that and that's, include judgment in their criticism rely heavily on you know their own theories of art. And I'm I'm pretty uh, uh, what's the word? Pl- I'm pretty m- into pluralism. That there are lots of different oh, yeah, types definitely. of art, and they can all be appreciated in different ways. Yeah, it sucks. Ooh, oh, pluralism. Pluralism. Good, good word. Yeah, that's our uh, art word bell for those who don't know. <laughs> yeah, usually it's the word juxtaposition. That that triggers the bell, but pluralism is a good, uh, good different word today. So oh, also, you said rococo. Oh, I did. Oh, good. A so re- many artworks. It's a retroactive applying of the bell. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. The um, the work by Lancelot. So we'll start with the description. Yeah. And so we've established he's a collage artist. Mm-hmm. Um. There was. 
there were it, what, what what did you just mention about the library books like like if you walked into a library the amount of information contained in a library is a lot like you can just imagine all that sure and then if you imagine that all of the images and all of those books spilled out onto a page yeah that might be what his collages look like I thought of it a lot of deconstructing things. Mm -hmm. So he, so it almost felt like there was one piece in particular where he took the um, name, he took, it was like, it felt very religious. So he took like all of the saints mm -hmm. hands mm -hmm. and uh, figures of deities. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like they weren't necessarily from paintings though. Like they're all from magazines and like, mass-produced stuff mm -hmm. but they right. they have there are things the way he's constructed this piece where those hands start calling to the what you see of like poses from saints right right yeah and and so he's he's extracting those mm -hmm. from the body mm -hmm. and so it's really just a lot of hands mm -hmm. in this piece like in the middle of it and then he extracted like the heads and mm -hmm. put them at the top of the faces yeah and put them at the top of the painting and then like uh, windows and put them like at the bottom of the painting. You know, so it's almost it feels very. So I'm gonna say something pretty nerdy, for all the graphic designers out there. Please do. There is a focus right now on design systems, mm, mm -hmm. which is this act of if you have ever been on Facebook, which everyone has, then or Google or Instagram, any any like app mm -hmm. that has a consistent like button styles and um, typography and outlines for icons and things like that that's like part of their design system mm -hmm. and there is a focus right now on people building design systems in the front end so they can make interfaces faster mm -hmm. so they basically have to really quickly explain it they'll have like a button large button medium button small mm -hmm. button active button mm -hmm. inactive and it all starts from like button default and then it just sort of like you know it gets uh grows from there yeah it grows from the from the button default okay and so that system can include things like sets of colors specific typefaces yeah exactly certain shapes of buttons icons buttons you know but kind of like the architecture not not the information architecture but the visual architecture yeah and the way that the people app. describe it is uh atoms molecules and organisms mm -hmm. And, you know, organisms are made up of molecules. Molecules are made up of atoms, mm -hmm. and it kind of goes back like that. And then um, that's a little bit how I felt about this work, mm -hmm. is like he was cutting up the, let's say the full piece was like an organism. Mm -hmm. Let's say like a, a picture from a magazine. Mm -hmm. And then he was able to look at that picture of a magazine and then see the molecules mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And then from like, like a person and then like a building is mm -hmm. like in the same image from the magazine. And then he was able to see the atoms of the person, which may be like their hands, their face, their shirt, something like that. Yeah. And then he was able to extract that. And so then he's taking all these atoms and molecules and then his collages, breaking them down so that you see it highlights those individual parts. Yeah, in fact, we're making a design system right now at work, and we are literally doing this. So we're going in all of our interfaces, printing out everything, mm -hmm. and then cutting them up and grouping them. Mm -hmm. And it feels a lot like mm -hmm. this guy's work. Yeah, I was even thinking of the of describing his images 
in terms of language. Like mm-hmm. he's building l- a language of visual, like a visual language, a language of like in this piece yeah. called the crown, yeah. a language of those, all of those hands or a language of all of the images of, of women, women's portraits. Um, and that one's called the crown and, it's got an image of a crown in it, but it's also got the way he's arranging parts of it. Like all these women uh, in front of this, uh, what do you call the halo of a saint in old paintings? Do you remember? There's like a special word for that. I don't know. I just always heard, heard halo. Oh, There's well, a different word. We'll call it, I feel like there is, but we'll call it a halo. Okay. There's one part where he made like a halo around these different women and they're all part of them are resting on a pair of donkeys, which is like, hello. Right, right, right. Virgin Virgin Mary iconography. There's some parts with church windows. So like, but all of his pieces um, have these, this like system in them. Right. Language or visual system. Like there was one that I liked called First Woman on the Moon. And it's got the, basically like a border of different portraits of women and flowers. And then all the women are wearing crowns. And then in the center of the image, are these two moons and there's all of these men's shoes creating these swirls on top of the moons. Mm -hmm. There's just so much in all of these. They're super dense. Very, very dense. Um, There are other pieces that he did, that he used metal for Mm -hmm. uh, metal and staples. And so he's cutting up metal signs that he's finding Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of, a lot of old advertising uh, Mm -hmm. signs um, and stapling together to create these, uh, like landscape uh, um, images mm-hmm. uh, of these, a- you call them abstract, non-representational landscapes. Mm-hmm. I think Bam. Need your bill. And um, yeah, and so when you look at them from, you know, kind of you far away and you back out, then you can sort of see, it sort of feels like a patchwork, like if you're in an airplane and you're looking down at mm-hmm. the farmland and you saw the patchwork. Mm-hmm. And then you get up close and then you see like Coca-Cola on it or mm-hmm. like, you know, Happy Valentine's Day or something uh, written on the metal pieces. Yeah. Um, and then they had bikes in the middle. Yeah. Where I didn't really know how to, I like white bikes. I, I don't, I don't know. But um, maybe that's in a statement or something. But he, he sort of applied the magazine uh, uh, collage technique mm-hmm. to the frame of the bike mm-hmm. and it wasn't on the whole bike it wasn't like on the tires like you could really it was mostly on the frame it. yeah it wasn't like on the it didn't make the bike unusable which i kind of wish it did a little bit um but in any case uh, it was just on the frame mm-hmm. and it looked like a pretty sweet paint job mm-hmm. i was like oh i could do this to my bike mm-hmm. be pretty rad um I, I that was that was the part of the show that was not as evident why that was there. The bikes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why bikes? Why not, know. like, I don't know, laptops or, I don't know. Yeah. Guitars. Yeah. I don't know. But it, but for, but I didn't question them at the time. For some reason, they felt right. I guess because maybe there were multiple bikes and the bikes themselves just felt like another imagery that he pulled from another source, you know? Yeah, yeah, The yeah. way he's maybe pulling so. images yeah. from, like, catalogs and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it they were they were like um I don't know if they were fixies, but they were the They're road bikes style. They're road bikes. Style bikes, yeah. So yeah. real skinny. So they weren't like mountain bikes and they weren't they were not uh 
uh, what do you like uh, like commuter bikes where you like sit like town bikes? Mm-hmm. They weren't those. They were specifically like road bikes for right. like racing. Yeah. Uh, Amer American commuter bikes. Yeah, right. In other countries, they don't use these kinds of bikes to commute. No. Um, they use the town bikes. Right. Because those are like much easier to pedal and stuff. He's got all this imagery, and and by the nature of his collage, he, all of his imagery feels vintage and old because he's pulling from you know, uh, magazines and product catalogs and uh, prints and stuff that are all vintage to, to because we have so much of that in the world. Um, so everything has this very old feeling and feels like there's a lot of history to it. But I found his uh, statement or his show statement. Oh, okay. Hit us up. I'll hit you up. So since 1993, he's solely been working in collage. And the most recent ones have taken a turn from like graphic pattern-based compositions towards these more saturated and colorful found imagery um, as a serious component within a romantic narrative. So I'm not really sure where... mm, Interesting. Mm. The organization of the cut material is structured in a way to tell a story or connote a place, whether expansive and space-age curiously scientific or domestic and cozy the exhibition will include several small collages on book covers and collages made of cut metal and staples the overriding rush for the viewer is a very dense world of layer upon layer of cut paper or metal building a distinct emotional valence nice Mm -hmm. so i definitely get that sense of like overwhelming worlds like the whole show is called parallel universe and each one of these pieces feels like there's so much in it Mm-hmm. They feel like little universes. Like there's one that we saw that just felt that it was nothing but tiny eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Just and you know, I, I'm very drawn to the very dense art. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rococo period. We just got done talking about mm-hmm. very dense uh, art period. Mm-hmm. Um, this work, very dense. Uh, my own like lettering work and concrete work. I want to be like much more dense. I'm trying to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like certain sign painters out there like uh, David Smith in the UK and um, uh, who who make just he, he made that famous John Mayer album cover like mm-hmm. forever ago. Uh, just super, super dense. And I love. Oh, the hand lettered one. Yeah. Yeah. And the, yeah. Sign painting. He's like next class. Thing. Like I'm a I, I get really drawn to really dense, uh, detailed artwork, mm-hmm. maybe because I don't do it myself that's why i appreciate it um uh but and then this was this was a part of that so like for far away you you couldn't appreciate it you had to appreciate it by getting uh, up close Mm -hmm. to it i really appreciated this work i'm trying to think about like what do i really think about it how did i feel about it what did i interpret out of it and aside from like obviously i connected to the the parallel universeness the little microcosmic worlds mm-hmm. inside of each of his pieces. I think I really appreciate it the most for the fact that I'm also interested in visual culture, like historical visual culture, like the what we see every day in the world building or contributing to the way that we understand the world around us. Mm-hmm. So like the images we see help determine how we think about the images we see like being yeah. very circular like that. Yeah, definitely. So I think that's part of why I'm really drawn to this because I think of his pieces uh, like dealing with that archive of imagery that we've 
we've got all this access to like we have the internet but he's using images that are physical and printed yeah so there's also it just brings to mind this concept for me of archive and history and that he's then taking and creating new languages out of all of that and honestly i think is i i think i'm a little bit jealous of his pieces because he seems to like be very unafraid of how he uses the imagery Mm -hmm. and like i have stacks and stacks and stacks of old books that I love the imagery in and I feel really drawn to, but it doesn't feel yet like I can cut them up and break them apart because they're too important (laughs) the way that they are. So I'm a little bit jealous of, of just like the energy and the raw, like the, the, like I'm sure he's very controlled in, in how he works and what he includes and all of that. But I really appreciate that he can that he is creating these whole new worlds from this archive. Whereas I maybe I feel like this need to not preserve, but like and I've cut up books before. But it's almost something like You feel guilty about it. A little bit. But it's yeah. almost like it's not as important for me if I'm the one that's breaking it up and breaking it apart. Right. You know? Like right. it loses something when I take it apart. But maybe for him he doesn't feel like that. Yeah, and um, that's interesting that you say that. Um, you know, there, there's something about collaging because you're you're you are destroying something. Mm-hmm. You're dismantling a book, usually mm-hmm. or a magazine mm-hmm. uh, that has been printed. Decollage. What's a who? Decollage is when you take it apart. Collage is when you put it together. Oh. Ooh. I learned that word from Mark Bradford in his Art Twenty One video. Nice. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Mark Bradford in Art Twenty One. <laughs> Um, the, uh, he listens to the podcast, I'm sure, right? I'm so sure. No, he doesn't. The, um, uh, we should email him this episode. <laughs> the, yeah, so, you know, to make collage, you have to actively destroy something. destroy something else. Like, it's based on that. It can't happen unless you do that, probably. Yeah. I mean, there might collage be. collage like, is really fa- based in found imagery. Yeah, and then... And deconstructing things mm-hmm. and, and then reassembling them some other way. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's, rela- it's related to found, found sculpture and found whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard, I think, to be good at it because mm-hmm. it's so easy for the viewer. Cause, because by nature, I think you have to get really close to collage mm-hmm. to appreciate it. And when you get really close, you can see all the little cuts and exacto blade Yeah, like the craftsmanship is really important and, to it. And like you have to get, you have to have a super sharp exacto like all the time. And you have to make sure that the corners, you're not tearing it. So they get these little frayed out corners mm-hmm. on stuff. You have to make sure your yeah. cuts match exactly. There are a lot of, you have to, it's all based in choice too. Like you have to make choices. Yeah, you have to consider how you're destroying something. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I see collage artists, uh, it's like this very literal fine line between good ones and bad ones, mm-hmm. both in the craft and the choice mm-hmm. that, you're, that they're making. And um, you can tell he's uh, thinking, he's conscious of, or what is it, conscientious about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, there's something interesting like, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing about the unabashedness to deconstruct something else. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's 
there's this, I think there's like a social commentary there. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have it right now, but <laughs> think about that. But you know, you, the listener, can be thinking about what that is and let us know your thoughts. Yeah. You email us at artpunkpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. So go see this show. Um, let us know what you think in comments or emails or Instagrams or, you know, stuff. Um, it's up through February 17th. And while you're out in the world thinking about this work, there's also a documentary that was made about this guy. Lance yeah, Asher. yeah, yeah. Successfully funded on Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah. So um, he's an Aus- he's from, lives and works in Austin. So he's semi-local, but he shows all over the world. Um, and check it out. I think the website for the documentary is lanceleisure.com. Yeah, you can find him on Instagram. We tagged that documentary in one of our photos. Oh, you did? Yes. Nice. I did. Good job. And uh, so you can you can check him out there yeah. as well. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon. All right, Rachel. Hey, Ryan. This is our break. <laughs> in a corner, but not a corner. This is not a corner. This is not a corner. Or a pipe. Or a pipe. As we've uh, established... What's the bomb pipe? Yeah, who's the who painted that? Magritte. Thing? Magritte. A surrealist. He made pizza too. Did he? Alright, so I know he's got a thing for apples. That's a uh, Magritte pizza. So the first thing we do here is we have this art speak, right? So uh we have this book. What is it called again? Oh art speak. Art speak. Called? Art speak. And it's filled with definitions of art certification words. And we need a new copy, updated edition. Yeah, we need to get the update. Um, I read you a word, or you read me a word mm-hmm. out of this book, mm-hmm. and then whoever is the other one tries to guess what that word means. Yes. So that we can use it in our artist statements later. Perfect. Okay, so today this word is fluxus. Okay, I got it. I actually really super know what this is. Oh, fluxus really? is related Thank to the flux capacitor, is related to um, fluctuations mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. changes, mm-hmm. specifically in the space-time continuum, as evidenced by the work of the great Dr. Brown. But it is a it is more like the, um, as we all know, Dr. Emmett Brown, um, he invented the flux capacitor, right? So, But fluxus is more of like the uh, conceptual ground behind the idea of the flux capacitor. And it's all about community and connection and uh, uh, making those connections across space and time. You are not anywhere close to being right. So Dang. here is what it is. Okay. So it's from the 1960s. Um, not 1955. Very important. Oh. Time Dang. difference. Uh, so, Okay. First, so post flux capacitor. Post, <laughs> uh, okay, so um, the term fluxus was used by George Mac Macunus on an art invitation uh, at a, for a lecture series. Let's see, implying flow or change in several languages. It's more of a state of mind than a style. Definitely. So the fluxus artists, social, boys. So, huh. Is Joseph Boys on the list? I don't know. Uh, oh, who? Yeah, let's see. Um, no, there's a there's a there's a, there's a one woman, two women. Oh, Yoko Ono's on the list. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Allison Knowles. I don't know who that is. Um, let's see. Nam, Nam June Pike is on the list. Mm-hmm. Joseph Boyes. Boys. Boys. Yep. That's George him. Bright. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you s- you sound like you know some of these people. I, I mean, like I know Yoko Ono. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, um, he's a complicated with, figure. With fluxus artists, social goes often assume primacy over aesthetic ones. Mm-hmm. Not sure what that means. The main aim was to upset the bourgeoisie routines of art and life. Fuck them up. Early fluxus events, guerrilla theater, street spectacles, concerts of electronic music, or aggressive demonstrations of energy and anarchy associated with the 60s. So, you know, like, you know, the the rebels and the people like that, like, fighting, Mm -hmm. fighting, Mm -hmm. fighting for social change, it looks like. Yeah, there's they a, wanted to mess with the system. There's definitely precursors to the social practice. There's an image here of uh, a piece by Nam June Pike that was uh, called "TV Bra for Social Living," mm-hmm. and it's a woman playing the cello, mm-hmm. and she's got s- tiny televisions on her breasts mm. uh, as they play the news. It looks like. Got it. And they're like four, four inches square, mm-hmm. and they're like sticking way out mm-hmm. the TVs. And so, worn by cellists, she's playing the cello too. Yeah, yeah, that? okay. Yeah, uh, cellist Charlotte Mormon. Mm-hmm. Solid. Yeah. So they were they were saying some stuff that sound. I, I like the. Mm-hmm. I like the. Um, Oh, it says, uh, such events range from group readings of haiku, mm-hmm. length poems, that prescribe simple activities like taking a stroll or burning a Christmas tree, to attention-getting events like the Charlotte Mormon Nanju Pike collaborating, collaboration featuring Mormon playing her cello while wearing little more than a brassiere fashioned from miniature television sets. Mm-hmm. Hmm, all right. Solid, solid, solid movement. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. That. All right, so, um... We have we have a couple sponsors today. Our first sponsor today is the Christmas tree. Patiently, persistently hoping that this time you'll keep it around for a little bit longer. Christmas trees. Don't throw me out just yet. Thanks, Christmas trees. Our second sponsor today are the Christmas lights that are still on your house. Hoping that you will just be cool and not take them down. Just be cool. Nobody likes being stuffed into a closet. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're that colorful. Nobody puts baby Christmas lights in a corner. Too much. This is not a corner. Brought to you by the Christmas tree and your Christmas lights that are still up. Never take them down. So I got another interview. Neat. Yep. This one is with Drigo. Yeah, um, he is a painter. Mm-hmm. Paints a lot of, uh, uses a lot of bright colors. Mm-hmm. Very um, lots of figurative, lot of figurative mythical yeah. figures in his paintings. Yeah, I think he Some animals. He mentions he uses spray paint mm-hmm. and lots of, like lots of you know uh, traditional materials, but like spray paint isn't. I don't know if spray paint is considered a traditional material now. It might I don't be think now. it is. 
I don't I don't think it is. Um I know you can have different bases for spray paint, but I don't think itself is it considered a traditional material because I yeah. think in the art canon mm. uh, uh, um that paint is supposed to come out of a tube, not a can. Really? Probably. I need to up the definitions. I know. So anyways, I did an interview with him uh, a couple months back, and uh, he's a lot of fun. Let's listen to it. All right. Okay. Okay, now we're recording. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, my name is Eric Rodriguez. Uh, I go by Drigo, and um, I'm originally from McKinney, Texas, and I do most of my work in uh, Dallas and Fort Worth. And I recently moved to Dallas, but I am self-taught. I've been painting for about probably going, yeah, six years now, probably going close on to seven. Um, and I, I guess my medium is usually tends to be in gouache, spray paint and acrylic. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, should I say about my work a little bit or? Uh, you can, we're going to get into it some, but yeah. We'll talk about okay, um, I guess basics about my work. Um, I, I play a lot with different ideologies and, and kind of merging of cultures. And um, a lot of, I guess, my personal influences are also thrown into there. So my work, in, in a way, is kind of like a subconscious, like in a way, a subconscious self-portrait, I guess, is how I like to explain it to people. So my first big question that I like to ask everybody is, how do you define your relationship to art? My relationship to art has kind of been like an escape in a way, because I use it a lot. I mean, I it's sounds so generic, but I really get super, super lost in my work. A lot of people that know me know that I'll straight up paint for like 15 hours straight, like mm -hmm. nonstop. And it'll just like, honestly, to me, it's like, it's, it's the best. I don't know. I'm just getting, it's like almost euphoric in a way. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much where I began with it. I started just like fiddling and honestly, I, I didn't start with paint. I was just like drawing and I was really obsessed with pastels in the beginning, which is weird because I hate them now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just kind of played and played and played and, and ended up uh, moving to a canvas and then just kept obsessively playing and playing and playing with it and I guess just developed something of my own mm -hmm. after a while. But yeah. So where you said you mix a lot of ideologies together and that they feel like some sort of a self-portrait what what kinds of ideologies are you pulling from and how do you feel like they they create that sense of the self for you I guess I play a lot with um there's a lot of like I guess symbols in in my work is how I describe them and like I, I I like pick and choose different different I guess like for example animals and stuff that I put in my work I, I choose them to mean uh different things like they could represent the subconscious or they can represent you know enlightenment or something like that and I just like kind of play with those and in a way I also create my own within my pieces but I also like bases I strike I like play a lot with astral projection and just a lot of dream I, I like to pay a lot of attention to dreams and stuff and just pick and pull from there and and I tell a lot of people that 
like even after I finish my pieces, like I'm still figuring things out about them because I'll have like a lot of repetition. Um, Cause like, that's kind of how I started. It's just, I, I learned one thing and I just re re kept repeating it. And then I learned something new eventually. And then I, so I guess that repetition with like different symbols and like, um, again, like the, I, the idea of like astral projection, which I explain, I don't, I don't know if you, I guess I can just explain it. Um, <laughs> I explain my characters as kind of travelers, so I think of them as not necessarily like space travelers or anything, but like just like they move through the dimensions and like I'll play with like color, like different color um, palettes and stuff to I guess in a way symbolize like auras and, and whatnot and like that higher higher consciousness, like a, a transcendence into like a higher consciousness. But like... I don't know, like, a, a lot of what I do is just, like, playing with, like, stuff that I, that means something to me on a either conscious or a lot of times very subconscious level. Mm -hmm. So, again, like, when people ask me about my work, it's almost like I'm almost, like, it, like pulling it out there, you know, like, figuring it out as I'm talking a lot because mm -hmm. a lot of times it is really like that, you know. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Do you look at any artists, like, not necessarily visual in inspiration, but, like, re references that you always have? Kind of like your, I don't know, like your art ancestry? Yeah. No, I have, a like, huge, huge influences, like, from the beginning. Um, I don't know if you've seen these, but I play with, uh, like, building my own, like, weird shapes canvas sometimes. Uh, like, I'll build hexagons or just, like, just a r completely random shape. I mean, I take a lot of inspiration from, like, Frank Stella and um, just people like Kenneth Noland. Um, I've been long time obsession with Os Gemelos, uh, Zio Ziegler. Um, I one of honestly one of my very very first inspirations was like David Cho, and I've followed him like for a long time. He's great, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of like where I stand. I guess I was really influenced by a lot of urban. Mm -hmm. I hope there are people who listen to this podcast that are also consider themselves self-taught or want to be. Yeah. Um, so if you consider yourself self-taught, how did you find all these people that you connected with? Um, when I, I guess, had, like grew my relationship with art in general, like I kept, kept finding myself out of canvas practicing or whatever. After that, it became like, okay, like, like, maybe I want to do something with this. So I went a little deeper, and then I started, like, looking into um, the possibilities and, like, also, like, what, what I guess, the innovators of today are in, in the art world and what are they doing. And mm -hmm. so I guess in a way, like, I really did learn a lot from just paying attention um, to what's what was going on and, like, what galleries... I guess I, I want it to be in, in the future. Because, like, I like to direct it that. Because we all have, like, those galleries, like, oh, man, I want to show with that gallery or whatever. And you look at their roster, you know what I mean? And then you do, like, you check them out. And you get, like, I don't want to say that you follow it because of that. But, like, you are very influenced by, mm -hmm. I mean, there's an attraction there. And there's obviously a reason you want it to be there. And, and you know, be next to the, like, the kind of work. Because, like, for me personally, I'm very honest with what I do. And if I feel like my work can fit in a place, mm -hmm. then I feel like hopefully it's also surrounded by very honest work. Mm -hmm. And um, 
don't know. I guess just that I've I've learned a lot from just looking everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but So what with, with wherever your work is right now, what is the hardest thing you're working on right now? Probably like a couple years ago, like looking at my work, I felt like I was a lot more loose in a way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like over the last couple of years, maybe like, I don't know if it's because I've had like more, more gigs or like had more commissions or whatever the case may be. I felt like I kind of have like gotten really tight with my work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've like what I'm playing with right now a lot and I'm going back to the sketchbook a lot, just, just trying to be more messy and just have more, ab I don't want to say abstract ideas, but like just play more, I guess. Cause mm -hmm. that's really how, I mean, like I said, that's how I started is just like playing with everything. And I feel like I, lately I've naturally, I've just limited myself to like certain things that, I mean, it's good at the same time, but I feel like to evolve and, and to push my art further, I need to just go back to messing with other things, bringing in new concepts and yeah. I don't know. So right now that's kind of like my, my, I guess my struggle, um, because I want to keep pushing my work, you know. Yeah. But. Have you seen, let's see, you said you've been working for like six-ish years, something like that. Have you seen your work or your process or even your career evolve in some way that was maybe unexpected? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, a lot. And six years is like, I haven't been a um, professional painter for six years. I've professionally been painting I would say for about a year a year and a half now mm -hmm. um but in the last I would say in the last two years I've really seen my work um really start I feel like really start to evolve again with like me figuring out like it, it I guess it all goes back to honesty like I started actually because I used to play a lot with a lot of things and and a lot of them would be like I guess based off like, um, I don't know. I, cause it's weird to say, cause I used to be into a lot of more like pop culture or whatever. And, and that kind of like, and that was like, to me, that was like honest in that time. But like, as my, I guess, influences have changed and, and things I'm interested in stuff like I, in the last two years, especially I've seen that, really affect my work and I think in a positive way because I think it's more going back because I'm I'm Spanish um and like I like to use like you know a lot of Spanish culture uh influences like my palette and I also pull from like African and Mongolian so I feel like going back to like our roots and really playing with like bringing the bringing together of cultures in a way and and that kind of represents like the bring together of people in general. So like playing with that concept has really helped me, I feel like develop my work in like an honest level. And I guess skill wise, for lack of a better term, for, that won't come to me right now. Um, <laughs> I can, I've obviously gotten a lot cleaner also in my work, but it's all, it's a constant struggle because like I get really clean and I'm like, Oh man, this is too clean. Like I don't want to be this clean. Yeah. And then I'm like, I want to like be a little more wild or <laughs> whatever. And then, I don't know. I, I guess that's part of it, just going back and forth. But. Yeah, I think so. Does that idea of the the coming together of these different cultures, does that feel like something personal? Like, do you feel like you're trying to 
bring some sort of goal out for for other people or does it feel like more like an internal thing for you? Um, I don't know. I think it could be very personal, honestly, with like talking like family wise and relationship wise, like mm -hmm. with uh, just in, internally with my family. But um, I feel like it does show in my work, mm -hmm. but also like in general, I'm always like I'm about love and honesty and like just showing showing people truth I guess um so I don't know it, it could just come from like the basis of like just me and my personal relationships with people and what I want to bring to them but I guess it all in all like I'm always trying to help and show people whatever like just new ways new ways of thinking and I don't want to say like I want to wake people up but like in a way I guess like just show them that there's other other ways, other possibilities to do things. Which is so funny since you seem to work so much from dream and dream states. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. yeah that's very ironic. <laughs> I, <don't know. laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe that's where the truth comes from. That's yeah. where we find it. For real, for real. Yeah, I mean, I am, yeah, dreams have always been really important to me. I used to have a, a sketchbook where I would wake up, because <clears throat> I used to wake up, at, I still kind of do, but. I have like a time where I wake up every morning and I would wake up. There's a time where I was waking up at like seven and I would force myself like just to um, like sit up and do like a quick sketchbook piece or whatever. Mm -hmm. Cause like that, they say that that time where you're still like in the morning when you're still kind of like not delirious, but half asleep, half awake. Those are the best times like where you can really find answers. And like, even with astral projection, they say those are the best times to be able to, to uh, I guess more naturally transition into another uh, state, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah. I just I don't know. It's I guess it's just important to play to me. Yeah. Just, I don't really always know why or what what I'll get out of it. I guess, but it's a cool idea and it's fun to see what might happen. Yeah. Do you feel like your interest in astral projection comes from more of a spiritual place or more of like a sci-fi fantasy place? Mm, I think more spiritual. I think I'm really attracted and, and like, I used to, honestly, I used to practice astral projection a lot and I don't so much anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but just that, that was honestly like where I started opening my eyes. I think my friend brought, um, astral projection to me and I read about it in a book he gave me. And then I was like, whoa, like this is different. Like, <laughs> the stuff it said to me about like what you can find out and figure out and mm -hmm. uncover about yourself and in the world even like it just opened possibilities and I've just always like I guess wanted to know more mm -hmm. pretty much yeah is there do you feel like there's anything that you deal with that's either a direct result of your chosen career path or indirect result that people who aren't artists who don't call themselves artists like wouldn't even think of as something that you have to deal with some problem you have to solve yeah um background a lot of people think it just happens um i get this question asked a lot to me it's like how do you come up with that oh yeah like, how do you come up with that idea and i'm like you know you don't really it's not like that like you don't just come up i mean some people do but um to me i think it's been a process of the six years that I've actually been painting or more than that even. And it's taken that long to really develop 
even like it even has like I, I want to say to develop I, the idea or whatever but it's not even that it's more to develop myself and like how I am like I've developed myself in a way that I'm able to produce what I am producing because of you know xx and x that has happened over the past few, few like six years or few years or whatever however long you've been working mm-hmm. but yeah I get that question a lot like how'd you come up with this idea like, yeah uh, I don't know how to answer that we all have meaning behind what we're doing and, and reasons and it shows when we work on it. So I, I, I would like people to be a little bit more conscious about um, the background maybe of the art culture in general. Mm-hmm. But, well, it's so interesting to me too that you are so personal with what you work on. Because um, like I was looking, you, I saw that you had done a mural with um, Converse and you spent time in Hawaii yeah. and it looked amazing. So I'm curious how you feel about like taking something that's so personal to you, but putting it in this super commercial environment. Does that change it for you? Um, it, it does kind of, um, when there's like, uh, time limits and stuff like that. Um, and some people want like the concept pre-drawn and whatever, you know, it definitely does change, but I think you have to learn to be adaptable. And I think in order to be, um, for lack of a better term, a successful artist, whatever that means, um, you got to be accessible also, but stay true to yourself. I don't know. Mm-hmm. This like a mix. What And this is a huge thing in my work also is balance, like visually and just in general, just balance in general. Um, so I think you got to have the balance of every area just so that you can, what's it called? Just vibe with everyone. Just, I don't know, but it didn't bother me too much. You know, I worked with, I mean, the artist I worked with, he was, he was definitely very, um, commercialized, Mm -hmm. but he had a lot of great things to offer, you know, a lot of great advice. He showed me, he he introduced me to people and I guess you just learn from each situation and, and I learned honestly how to that was one of my first times I really worked under pressure (laughs) yeah Um, so I definitely learned how to work under pressure Um, a lot of what I use in my work also is like very plant-based I use a lot of greenery and stuff so out there I was also able in Hawaii it's gorgeous in Hawaii so I was also able to like physically pull different elements that I wanted to use in my work because as an experience that I wanted to kind of hold on to, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause I got to like work with a lot of people that I wanted to like want to work with in the future. Also, mm-hmm. for example, powwow, um, Sumi's conference, they're all great names. Yeah. I don't know. Pressure. And I guess just like you said, working with different kinds of, uh, artists cause they wanted us to collaborate, you know, and our styles were from very different worlds. Yeah. So I guess that too, just how to, play and I guess adapt in order to also be able to work with other artists because he was very illustrative and um, spontaneous if that's a good word but I was very like I said I can be very tight and um, just like I sometimes it's there like I know what I'm doing and I don't know we just had very different processes but we were able to like honestly easily just come together and um, bring our styles together and he was I don't know I because I was always nervous about collaborating Mm. Uh, it's very different but I guess 
I learned that it's really not as scary as it is. Yeah, but I was because I was honestly I was pretty nervous out there because these were all like, for example, Jasper Wong was out there. He's worked with like all the best artists around, like in urban art and people doing murals and stuff. He's worked with a lot of them, and I was sitting in his presence and I was like sweating trying to draw this, <laughs> trying to draw this like trying to get my sketch going and stuff and mm-hmm. they literally were just like all right go <laughs> like start and i was like okay <laughs> yeah but i did i learned a lot of adaptability i guess mm-hmm. where can people find out more about you find out more about your work people can find my work i guess i show a lot around dallas and fort worth i recently signed to fort worth's art gallery and fort worth um, and that is off of Montgomery Street. And then I have a mural in Deep Ellum, mm-hmm. which you can always check out, which is by Easy Sliders that recently went up. That's off of Main Street. And I have a mural in Fort Worth, if you're out there, um, by in the Foundry District. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be showing a lot around Dallas. And my Instagram would be at drigo, D-R-I-G-O dot underscore. Dot underscore. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Is that related to the unconscious? Yes. No, no. <laughs> awesome. Can be. It's just Instagram being difficult. I'm just like, Always. Cool, man. Well, thanks a lot for talking. Um, and that's all I've got. So we'll see if we can well, send thank the people you. it's your been way. A pleasure. Thank you so much. Cool. Cool. Yeah, so uh, that was a really good interview. Thanks. Uh, you were asking some pretty good questions, I think, um, that we, the people, wanted to know the answers to. Oh, good. And did you have a favorite part? Um, I thought it was nice to talk to him about uh, working in Hawaii with a commercial brand mm-hmm. versus, <clears throat> versus um, like how he handles that idea of like a commercial setting for work that's very personal to him. But like his work, I think he said at one point, it's also very universal. Like it's all personal to him, but I think he works in such a way that a lot of people can identify with it and connect with it. Yeah. Uh, he sort of brushed over this a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he, he said, actually the first time we listened to it, I didn't hear this, mm-hmm. but at one point he says he practiced astral projection. Yeah. I don't know what that means. Yeah. It's very interesting. The only thing I I don't know what that means in real life. The only right. thing I know is from like sci-fi movies, uh, the magicians. Yeah, from sci-fi. Shout out season two now available on Netflix. Uh, shout out to season two <laughs> of the magicians available on Netflix. Um. So. Um. But yeah, that I, I'm sure that's not what that is in real life. Yeah. But maybe it is also in the same way. Well, I I like the idea of thinking about any. One thing that I feel like I have done less of over the past few years is thinking about my spiritual self. Yeah. yeah. And I need to get back to that. And so maybe it relates to that thinking like foregrounding your spiritual self, your spirituality, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the part of you that is not mushy. Yes. And physical. Sure. And thinking about, you know, taking care of that part of yourself. Maybe it's related to that. Yeah, and you know, I, I do think that like meditation is really important for people and um, mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And so bringing that into artwork is uh, feels mm-hmm. uh, feels can feel personal. 
Yeah. I'll make and, it personal. Yeah. I like that um, I, I've appreciated that a lot of the studies done over the last couple of years are actually connecting how your sense of spirituality or your mind can actually control um, or have effects on your physical self. So like, uh, you know, um, changing your, you know, something as, as like banal and something that we don't think about like cholesterol can research is showing that like mindfulness, meditation, stuff like that has effects on things like cholesterol or, um, like your heart health as it relates to yeah. anxiety and depression and things like that. So Everything's so connected. That those things are connected. Well, good interview. Uh, Thanks. you can check out his website. I said his website there at the end, mm-hmm. uh, or his Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, dot underscore is on his, he's on Instagram. Uh, don't forget the dot underscore. It's important. And then uh, his you'll whoops. know his gram when you get to it though because he uh, he's got a really nice Instagram, very consistent. You, you yeah, yeah, a lot of his paintings are on there. Uh, and then uh, his website is made by made by Drigo D R I G O dot com. Yeah, and you can buy a bunch of his paintings and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think he just released a new T shirt that you can buy. Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I think that's it. Is that it? I think that's it for now. Yeah? Uh, we did episode 42. Woo! Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay, so Art Funk is a production by you and me. You and me. Rachel and Ryan. Ryan and Rachel. And um, you can find us on uh, Facebook, fb.com slash artfunkpodcast. Mm-hmm. Or on Instagram. Uh, as Art Funk Podcast, mm-hmm. same. Our website is artfunk.club. Dot club. It's the coolest art club in town. Ooh. And uh, to listen to the show, uh, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, uh, really wherever that you find uh, your, uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're, we're there. Yeah. And if we're not, then like, let me, let me know because mm-hmm. I'll put us, I'll put our, our feed there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, if you have any questions or you want to just want to like make a comment or something like that, you can email us at artfunkpodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. We get a lot of emails these days mm-hmm. about people um, wanting us to come to their art openings or something like that. And so if you want us to show up in full effect, let us know what's going on. Let us know what's the haps. Do people mm-hmm. say that? That's the first time so. I said that. I don't, I don't, I don't think I didn't they like really that. do. I didn't like that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, tell us what's going on with you, and we'll uh, we'll show up, or not. I don't know. It's our show, so we decide. <laughs> <laughs> no commitment. No commitment. <laughs> no promises. Okay. Um. Well, I think that's it. Is that it? Yeah. That's it. Okay. Well, make art. Get funky. Mm-hmm.